Welcome to Coffee Talk with Moshi Number Dose. Uh, we're back with Moshe Daniel this week talking about mind-infused technology. And oddly, we got into a very spiritual conversation. Um, there's just been these wonderful, wonderful, uh, I guess you would call it hybridization of technology and spirituality and people's faith. And it, it's really remarkable when you look into the history of the best inventors in the world, they all saw themselves as men of faith. Um, there are very few atheists that actually invent anything noteworthy. So it's, a, it's kind of an interesting thing. So please enjoy this, this talk with Moshi and uh, we'll have our regular podcast uh, posting this Friday. Have you uh, gone into sunning your butthole like some people are talking about? I mean, I was into that like 15 years ago. <laughs> it's kind of passe for me now. <laughs> you, you, oh, I'm so that's so last century. Yeah, but sunning my butthole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so last. That's so two decades ago. Give me a break. Yeah, I figure. I figure you could probably absorb the sun other parts of your skin. You might not need to sun the butthole especially if if you know god made the butthole kind of tucked up in there it's not like you normally get exposed to the sun <laughs> exactly like if the derriere <laughs> was supposed to be you know getting the full uv treatment it'd be in a, a different spot of the body i think now I, I can see it being like a kind of a hack like a biohack where you like you do something unnatural and it's sort of accelerates the absorption of of solar radi radiation like the sun's power into like your pelvic area and like your digestive system and stuff like that. i can see it, that. it definitely boosted my sexuality i'll tell you that like it it definitely whatever it did to my testosterone level like it boosted it yeah yeah not everybody lives in the place where they can be like out, like spreading their cheeks and like. <laughs> That's the real <laughs> impetus behind getting your own farmstead. You have enough. Yeah, acres, exactly. <laughs> you could just wear your Scottish kilt and whenever you want to, you just. Woo! <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I, I see that you started recording. Are we, are we like. Is this is this gonna be part of the fun? <laughs> like what we're doing? Who knows? Like, Who knows? <laughs> just go. It all depends on your guides, your the mood your guides are in at the moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have some magic. People like banter. Yeah, yeah. But I, we should spare them with banter about buttholes, I think. Hey, you're you're the one who brought it up. It's pertinent to all this alchemical stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's true. Everything ends up everything ends up being about poop anyway <laughs> especially when you're talking about spring and fertilizing and all the rest of it right yeah and alchemy alchemy is big big topic yes it is so you were telling me that your gardens are just going off with your electroculture yeah and this is the this is the beginning of our second year so we the first time we did was last year and we just got some plants in the ground but the ones that we've had in for about a month are getting pretty fat like sugar snap peas mm -hmm. and they're like pretty thick around and they're really they're almost three feet tall right now and they're growing pretty quick oh wow 
I think by the end of June, July, by the end of July, I think we're going to have a real, real sense of what kind of power we have in the, in the electric culture garden this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you get, did you hear my idea with the, the rammed earth wall and using that as sort of like a big earth battery for the electroculture? Um, I don't recall. I think I, I remember you mentioning something about that, but I, I, I don't, I didn't give it much thought. So rammed earth. So you know how you do those big thick walls the, that are made with earth essentially? Like the here, what's that? Like, yeah, the oh, oh, you just told me about that today in yes. chat, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, and you have, like, metal interlaced with the bags that kind of holds it together. Yes. Yeah, we and use barbed wire. We use barbed wire, barbed wire, and the barbed wire never overlaps, so you're never shorting a circuit. Oh, that's cool. The, the barbed wire is in between each layer. And so what I was thinking you, you could do is if you wanted to, you could screw into like at the end of the bags, you usually put a pole where all the bags butt up against. And then you could just attach that barbed wire to one of those poles. And then that same barbed wire you could attach to whatever you're fabricating your, uh, I'm going to be fabricating these ferro cement, sort of like permanent concrete, you know areas for plants yeah and then the wall the reason why i'm building a wall is because i need to have a water break because i have all this water rushing down the hill towards my house and it's flooding my basement so oh dang <laughs> yeah i have i have to get kind of serious with with pushing water away from the building so that's why i'm going above ground with this particular part and then yeah, and then I have to train this construction company with how to do this this particular type of, of work. So I'm kind of, you know, putting all all these things together, permaculture style. That's interesting. So I, I know that earth batteries, don't, don't they rely on like different metals for, for that differentiation of flow? Like you might have use zinc and copper, like to create a current between the two of them. I don't remember. I haven't done earth batteries in a long time. But it, well, isn't that what you were asking about, like with the rammed earth wall? What was it? Oh, you wanted to use that for electroculture. Electroculture. Okay. So then you using that as like the positive potential, like you're going to like get. Well, what's what's in between the earth, like the, what's actually in the walls themselves, the barbed wire that's in the wall. Yeah. The wall is just an extension of the ground. <laughs> it's just earth. It's just above ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And so I'm that, just wondering, like, how deep are you? Are you extending those wires deep into the earth, or they're just like at the level where the bags are, basically? Well, that's the thing I wanted to ask you. Is I could, I could very easily at one end put a coil deep in the ground if I wanted to, and then have, hmm. and then have the line itself. The, the whole reason why I thought of electroculture with this is because I do have all this conductive material that's essentially very easy to ground on one side and put an antenna on the other side. That's so cool. So I get it. I get it. Okay. So I, here's what you could do. Um, because I, I kind of believe that any, like any kind of cool application like that could have some function, but you might just have to find what that function is. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't like at first glance, it doesn't really sound 
like your traditional electroculture where you're you're taking your positive from as high as you can and then you're grounding it through your beds mm -hmm. um, and then that's subterranean wires but in electroculture you don't always have to ground the positive you can have it create a space of potential uh, uh, where it will then meet a, an earth ground wall so if you took your uh, positive and you didn't ground it in the earth and you you basically connected it to an ungrounded fence mm -hmm. some metallic fence and then you had your plants in between that trying to grow out of the ground and then you had your your rammed earth wall with also like a metallic fence on it or maybe mm -hmm. like a uh, hardware cloth or something you know mm -hmm. And that's earth grounded then there would be this draw of ions through the air and the plants would just be like basking in the glory of, of that between it yeah because i think i did this inadvertently with one of the very first garden walls i ever built because no. what we do is we would tie hardware cloth to both sides of the bag so if you imagine a rammed earth bag is five inches tall by 20 inches wide yeah. By yeah. however long you want to go. Right. And this wall that we built, we built like a hobbit door in the middle. So it was this big circular opening. And it was still like this million dollar bamboo house. So it was this this beautiful snaking wall that was going from south to north on on through their garden. So when they were looking at it from the house, it looked like this big anaconda. Oh, cool. That that was like the thing. And so, but I remember over the years, they're asking how to maintain because all the plants wanted to climb the hardware cloth that was on the side of the wall. Especially if it's going north-south. That's that's exactly the orientation. So that, that's what I'm thinking. Like, this is what tripped my memory is like, I think inadvertently we made this incredible energy sink you know, because it had the beautiful, natural, it wasn't a crazy curve. It was just this nice, gentle curve because it was a garden wall. And it got pretty high on one end. And we did this ornamental, like, lift on the north side. In the ground, the slope was higher on the north side. So I would say that was probably a good 10 feet up in the air. Uh-huh. So I bet you there was this potential that was moving through because all the hardware cloth is tied to the barbed wire and all the barbed wire runs the entire length of the. Yeah. And yeah, so, well, any, yeah. Piece, any piece of metal, any piece of metal acts as an antenna to the, to the ethereal spirit, to the, the galvanic forces of the sky and the earth. Mm -hmm. Well, particularly the sky, if it's out of the earth. So if you if you intentionally align it and if you get geeky and measure it to a cubit, then that enhances it. If you make a sacred geometry with that, then that enhances it. If you put it north south, that enhances it. If you put it up in the sky and, and you know, that enhances it. Like there's all these things you can do with with electroculture to enhance it, these these principles. So this brings us to the topic that we wanted to talk about was our mind infused into these mechanisms, mm -hmm. into these mechanical means for convenience, essentially for for efficiency, convenience, consciousness. But you and I had talked off air about there's this in, the, when when you put a level of detail into something, like you said, measuring a cubit or 
aligning north to south and you do all these little things you're infusing a love of sorts a detail orientation that says you care that says says that this is important to you and And i'm gonna put my i'm gonna invest mine energy into it yes let's uh, what's your definition of mind oh my gosh that's a great question um Okay. Okay. So let me start with like low hanging fruit because then we could build on that. So for me, mind is actually a body, an energetic body that our consciousness resides in or with. Mm-hmm. And it's a, there's a field there. And the mind, so the mind field, uh, you, you're familiar with this from yoga. So there's five bodies in yoga and and also three bodies, which is the same thing, but the middle body, which is the subtle body is broken down into three. So in the three model, when this is broken down into three, that's five. Mm -hmm. And, and so like, so the lower body is the physical body. Uh, It's uh, my gosh, I'm sorry. I forget the word. And then there's the vital body, pranamaya kosha. Then there's two elements of the mind. So one is a deeper subconscious mind, which is um, the uh, Manomaya Kosha. And then there's Vijnana Maya Kosha. And I might be killing the pronunciation of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. And then there's the causal. The causal is uh, Ananda Maya Kosha. So, I mean, Ananda Maya Kosha, I want to consider it not mind in a sense, but it could even be considered part of the mind. But where the intellect is what I think of as mind, and that's the the Vijnana Maya Kosha. So it's it's our it's the mind that we have uh, conscious we have conscious uh, control over. I mean, not everybody has control over their mind, and that's part of our topic today. Is that we need to discipline our mind to get it to go where we want it mm-hmm. to go, and not be running all over the place, causing havoc. You know. Mm-hmm. So mind is a field of energy, which is very subtle. And -hmm. it's one of the bodies, it's one of the five bodies that we reside in within. And it is essentially, which is kind of really shocking. And I'm I'm not sure I fully accept it, although I believe it's true, is it's the same as God's mind. Mm. It's the same stuff as God's mind. Mm. So each of us is a microcosm and we have mind which is the same as God's mind. Mm-hmm. And that's why there are people who could do miracles when they know who they are and they, they just channel that mind energy. Mm-hmm. See, that it's so beautiful. I, I've really been looking back at all the hermeticists that I've admired. And one of the first principles of hermeticism is all is mind. Yeah. And when I first read that a while back, like about 20 years ago, I was of the mind that the mind was here, like it was gray matter. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, part of the brain. And then I was illuminated through the study of radionics, where they were going in and they were seeing that people that had crazy accidents or were born with water on the brain where there was all this gray matter that supposedly makes up the mind was missing, but yet they could still totally function and access memories and all the rest of it. Yeah. 
And I was listening to this one radionics expert, and I guess he was being filmed back in the 70s. The video that I was watching was from the 70s. And he was he was saying that pr pretty much the at, at the level of the military grade that they were at, they were convinced that the mind was in the ether. <laughs> yeah. And here was a military man talking about ether. <laughs> and so, cool. so I had the hermeticist saying all is mind. And then I had the radio military radionics guy saying, Hey, the mind isn't in the body. It's not it, the, it, the body is within the mind, so there's overlap, but you can access mind. It's sort of like cloud. And this is before people knew about cloud storage and the rest of it. You know, people were still yeah. putting things on hard disks and all that. So it's really kind of neat now how consciousness, at least with our technology, is reflecting what we actually come to know about mind. Like the, yeah. the body antenna that we are, the, the subtle bodies that we incorporate and cohere uh, give us certain access, a certain frequency range to, of access and then consciousness to mind. Yes. And then we, we will label that mind as our mind. <laughs> right, and, right. And that was a huge thing that Ramana Maharshi right. taught me was the whole notion that just because you're aware of a thought doesn't mean it's your thought. Right, right. And that was mind-blowing because the whole notion of all these inventors out there all coming up with the same invention at the same time. Right. And they, none of them know each other. <laughs> it's really like, can you say this is mine? Can you like really identify with something as as this is my thing? This is This is solely mine. Right. That's um that's an amazing point. And that's that's such a deep point that you could just reflect on for a long time. Because if you look at this idea, everything okay, so you said all is mine. And that's very that's the same, although slightly different, you know, vernacularly as saying everything is mine. And we talked about that. Right. Buddha said everything is mine. And I agree with that. It, it almost as being more accurate than saying all is mine because everything everything that is object everything that is created in form mm -hmm. even even in mental form is a thing yes right and we talked about this and you mm -hmm. said not no thing is real that no yes what is real is the consciousness that perceives all the created things mm -hmm. and so when when the mind acts, so let's say it's in a state of total calm and peace, like a like what the Taoists talk about that crystal pond of no, mm -hmm. no ripples in the mind. We might even say we're in the still magnetic light of uh, Walter Russell mm -hmm. in the in the zero point field, which is going into the causal plane now. So that's where the causal is mind, but it's totally still. It's non movement of mind. Mm -hmm. As soon as there's a thought, the thought creates action this is very walter russell you know mm -hmm. it creates action and that has movement and it has polarity of a masculine and a feminine mm -hmm. so we move from the still magnetic light into the electric world and what i like about this understanding is that thought is and this is what radionic people talk about is thought is the same as 
is the same energy as electricity. Yes. That that's mind boggling because that's how radion really successful radionic people can channel their mind energy into electric apparatus or apparati apparatuses. Yeah. Well, well it's so cool because today you'll get a kick out of this because I was like outside chopping down uh I think it was a 60 foot by 28 inch diameter pine tree. Well, that's huge. Huge tree. And we're we're cofficing the top of it. And my assistant was right next to me and we were at the base. And we're all tired cuz we're moving this heavy like it it's a big deal to cut down something that that is that big. Yeah. And I had been talking to him about longitudinal waves and about ether. And he didn't really understand what it was. And I was like, so the, my one friend was at the other end of the tree and he was chopping, he was hitting the tree. And cause we were at the other end of the tree, we felt the hit in our body as if it, he was hitting us mm. and it was instantaneous. And I was like, this is a longitudinal wave. This is, this is a metaphor for a longitudinal wave. There isn't a compression that's moving through a medium and hitting us. Tesla explains that the longitudinal waves are literally the ether is solid. And just like if somebody's pushing a pole and you're holding the other end of the pole, it moves instantaneously because the ether between you and them is solid. Yes. And that's the way it was explained to me in radionics, why the, the really good radionics, I mean, like the true radionics, the Russian radionics, man, they, they mastered the system of being able to use the, some people call it scalar, scalar physics or the scalar waves, but a scalar yeah. wave is a longitudinal wave, but they could distribute mind energy because they knew how to engineer the longitudinal wave that uh, our our thoughts the wavelength of our thoughts are on and i think a lot of this now, did they did they this is an important question because this is something that's not totally answered in my mind did they do that mentally or did they do that with technology that could channel the mind i'm of the understanding it was both okay because, you know, a lot of the, the Project Paperclip Nazis that were working on this stuff in, in uh, Nazi Germany, the Russians got all the radionics and all the uh, scalar stuff where the, where the Americans got all the uh, Walt Disney <laughs> uh gearing uh let's let's go use the saturn five rockets to go to the moon you know they got all the 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 public uh i guess you would call it uh the public conditioning possibly possibly that that's up for debate because a lot of the nazis did end up in america like that's my point oh no i'm not i'm not saying that they didn't Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no. So much of the propaganda wing of the Nazis are what ended up running America. Oh, yeah. Right, 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 right. No, but what I'm saying is the real science, like we were sold, like at least I was. I mean, you're from Canada land. Yeah. But when I was, when I was growing up, 
we were sold this whole thing that you know the the going to the moon was a real thing the saturn V rockets raw raw america you know we we made better technology than what the nazis had and the russians and the russians and now we yeah. know that was all a pr stunt yeah yeah for sure for that sure. was a pr stunt for sure. but the truth of the matter was is the the nazis that had the real the real goods went over to russia and were working on all the psi stuff mm. they were working on the radionics the scalar physics the whole thing with the weather modification like it's it's like incredible that that whole side of it that went over there now obviously there's not that many i guess you'd say written in english publications about it right but there's but i'm also saying that it's possible that those those nazis that went to russia other nazis came to america with that same knowledge oh definitely. Just, definitely yeah 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 definitely yeah. What I'm trying to say is in the public, in the way it was presented in the public. Right, exactly. What they aired out for people to believe. Precisely. A hundred percent. That I agree with. Yeah. 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 What we are given on the on the public level of things was like, okay, we got the good rockets. And, you know, what's his name who ran NASA forever? You know, his best friends with Walt Disney. Like he was a he was an SS commander. <laughs> like <laughs> it wasn't. What's his name? Uh, you know who I'm talking about, right? I don't. I don't know his name. Oh, or, come on. I'll remember it in a second. I can see his face. He was the guy on, on his uh, on his um, tombstone. He said, I think he put Psalms. I forget which Psalm it was, but he was like, you, you will know God's uh, handiwork through the firmament. And he oh, was the, my he, gosh. he was the guy who ran NASA. <laughs> Right, and he's dropping like flat Earth clues and stuff. <laughs> so it's the from the public facing side of it, we got the really let's just say extroverted science and Werner von Braun. Werner, 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 Werner von Braun. Right? Is that who you're talking about? Exactly. I just did a quick search. Yeah. Exactly. The heavens declare the goal. It's a uh, Psalm nineteen one. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Ah, what a beautiful quote. It's so good. That's great. Yeah. It's great. It's like dropping the clues, right? It's like the flat earth map in the UN, sorry, in NASA, NASA. Yes. And the UN and, and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. So we're talking about mind and we're talking about the ability to instill a mind into technology and do action at a distance. In the past, technology that would be called action at a distance would have been called magic. Oh, that's cool. I I, I support that idea. And everything that is what what like let's say King Solomon's time. So um, he did he. I mean, he inspired basically. He he brought together a lot of the real like all people that claim magic, and he tested it. And he basically said it was he was like the consumer report of like magic. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, no, those people don't know. No. And he would and then the, he consolidated a school and a body of people using magic. And it was all 
you know, obviously you do use like in that, in that path, you do use like, use like Hebrew letters and you use like things to channel the mind, but all of these are just tools to focus the mind. Like, like a crystal ball is for uh, a seer, mm-hmm. you know, it's just tool. Everything is mine. Everything is mine. These mm-hmm. are just different, different, like, pinnings and trappings that we use to channel our mind that we we give credence to that have this power mm-hmm. because when you have a radionic device like i just built the wishing machine i, I don't know if we ever talked about that no we right? haven't do tell. Yeah, yeah i built a wishing machine and basically what it does is it amplifies your thought and it, and you put this intention into it and it sends it out on an antenna oh you don't and- throw you don't throw pennies at it uh, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for a Jewish joke to fall. <laughs> I can see the twinkle in your eye. You're about to... <laughs> um, um, okay, I'm gonna get in trouble with the uh, with the what is it? Anyway. The ADL. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, just a slap on the wrist. I hope. So um, the the that's a that's an example of a device that a master doesn't need when they just use the mind like when we when we i don't know what what we call it we lack the the faith or we lack the mental awareness or we lack some level of enlightenment to use the mind in the degree that it can be used without a device then we don't know what we lack the most other than concentration what is it coherence okay like peace of mind peace it's peace of mind with peace within the body mechanism. So the, the body mechanism, the, the, the locomotive aspect of our consciousness, it, it can crystallize through coherence. And the more coherent it becomes, the less resistance you have, the less impedance you have within that system. Right. The more energy you can actually focus on concentration. That makes total sense. Because if you're, let's say you have to concentrate, you, there's this amazing, like, there's so many powerful, magical things that happen in autobiography of a yogi. You know, Paramahansa Yogananda mm-hmm. is describing things that, that he does and Babaji does and stuff like that. And let's say we take it at, at face value that it really happened, which I, you know, I, I believe it, it does, although it's a stretch of the imagination, right? Mm-hmm. So Lahiri Mahashaya, who's, who's like the grandfather guru to Paramahansa Yogananda, mm-hmm. he, you know, before he goes and really studies and sort of renun- renounces his life in the world, he, he, uh, Babaji asked him if he have, has any unfulfilled desires, and he says, "Yeah, I always wanted to go in, like I w- wanted to go in a castle. <laughs> That's it's such a sweet, innocent desire, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I find that so sweet. So Babaji like manifests in this monster, amazing castle with like gemstones and amazing ornate. Like he visualized that and became manifest in in the physical world mm-hmm. for Lahiri to go into. So." Like you imagine the level of that focus power. If you're totally at peace, then whatever you visualize in the mind, provided you have that dharana, you know, the the, the focal power, yes. the focus power, I can see what you're saying. It would just become immediately manifest. This this is so on point with 
when I was really deep going deep into meditation, I had this direct knowingness that what they were doing with supercomputers was exactly what was happening with meditation. Huh. So when I could get behind all of the, let's just call it the noise and, and be the witnessing awareness that was witnessing both the noise and then being aware of where the signal was coming from, but without identification with the signal, the being that just for conversational sake, I would say is me, <laughs> the being yeah. that I was in, in that point was simultaneously in complete isolation and everything at the same time. Mm. So it was completely isolated. And because it was completely isolated and still, it had access in every direction to every other point. Which is through the cause, that's the causal plane. And so when I read about what they were doing with the supercomputers, essentially every supercomputer, every uh, quantum computer, what they do is they're the majority of the quantum computers are refrigerator and they refrigerate down to absolute zero. Well, what's absolute zero? It's stillness. It's total stillness. It's stillness. That's the zero point field that is artificially maneuvered, say. Right. And when you look at the microchip, these quantum microchips aren't even what we would call a microchip. They're a sensor. <laughs> So they wow. essentially build this massive refrigerator. You know, this is their scrying mirror. We're getting back to magic, dude. Yeah, yeah. They're and you know, Jordy, whatever his name was, that talked about the 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 super D whatever quantum computer. I forget what they call it. If it's real, who knows? It could all be like a marketing scam. But if they're if what they're saying is true, they essentially get down to absolute zero stillness. Yeah. And Superconductivity then, at absolute zero. And by the way, I have a good like in seeing the the how the schematics of these these computers, that square looks kind of interesting. Cause you know me, I'm I'm a shape guy. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. They're supercooling a very specific shape of volume. It's a cube. It's a, a cube. Aha, aha. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So you know you could get into the into the super cube theory. You could get into the the tesseract. You can get into all these things. Right, right, right. But they are essentially super chilling a volume of space, so it's completely still. Right, right. And then they have a sensor to pick up what's on that side of reality. Right. There's stillness. That is very, very cool. Now what jumps into my mind, if you'll allow me to make a somewhat interesting analogy here um, at the time, you know, in the, in the, when Moses um, cast his, his staff down in front of Pharaoh, it turned into a snake. Mm -hmm. And so Pharaoh, you know, nodded over his two ma magic users, his magicians, and they threw down their snakes. Mm 
they were able to reproduce it. So Pharaoh was like, oh, it's no big deal. But they used a different kind of magic. And now this is what's interesting. Moses' snake ate up the other snakes. It sort of demonstrates, in my <laughs> opinion, the difference between maneuvering magic like with a supercomputer right. and a person in a state of meditation. Right, because we, our being... Like if you're Moses or you're Noah or you're Jesus, yeah, you are the supercomputer supercomputers. You're God's right. you're God's biological supercomputer. Exactly. So whatever quote unquote technology or magic you're displaying has so many magnitudes greater. And it of, will always eat up the snake. Precisely. The, that's it. So even if we get to a point. You see, God God is good and the and creation is good inherently. So what, what I mean by that is that if supercomputers and AI become a major problem for the planet, well then by the principle of as evil rises, so does the Christ within us will have people becoming those supercomputers, and they that energy will overcome the the artificial form this the, the the true snake will eat up the false snake so to speak i, I totally concur with that i'm i'm of that mind because sure. for i mean in my life i'm pretty sheltered like i i have a a very curated group of people that i interact with and we're all pretty much on the same level yeah um so I really don't know what's going on out there because I don't really do social media. Like I only use social media as a marketing tool. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't use it to track people because in all honesty, I don't really care about other people's opinions. I've, I've learned that a long time ago. It's like, I care about the people I love and my friends and their, and what's going on for them. Yeah. But I don't want to be connected to the zeitgeist do you know climate and zeitgeist almost have the same meaning no i didn't realize that how so look up the definition you're you're on your computer there look up the definition of climate i think it's the third definition of climate in the webster's marianne dictionary oh okay let's see oh the prevailing trend of public opinion or of another aspect of public life so the whole notion of climate change, oh, climate change, climate change, climate change. They're trying to change the zeitgeist. They're trying to change the, the prevailing view of people. Right. And good-hearted people are projecting onto them, oh, they're talking about the weather. <laughs> right, right. You know, because most people don't know the full definition of that. So for me, I've learned that for me to have power, for me to have the capacity to concentrate, I really only will give my attention to people's opinions if they ask me a few times. Mm. Because I've noticed this with the with the very powerful nana yogis i knew and the raja yogis and just powerful people in general that i know what makes them powerful is their capacity to concentrate i've known this since i was an athlete yeah if i could focus i could win 
If I couldn't focus, I can't win. Right. Because if you let something get in there while you're trying to like say kick. Right. And then your your whole system's off whack. You're gonna you're gonna like pull your shot or something. Yeah, I had 1.2 seconds to do my job. Exactly. I had 1.2 seconds or less, or the or the kick would get blocked. Yeah, and funny enough, that's still a long time to have to concentrate. 100%. Super long. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't sound long. You know, in the book, The Only Planet of Choice, uh, that's transceived by Phyllis Schlemmer. It's one of the most influential books in my life. They say that if you can focus for 33 and a third second, precisely that, without any interruption of your mind, you set into motion the energy of that thought. I, so totally, I totally agree with that. Yeah. And it, it doesn't sound very long, but if you actually sit <laughs> and try to be 100% focused for 33 and a third seconds, it's actually, it's actually a big deal. What's well, amazing because I've I've come to know, and I never knew this until recently. I know quite a few people that can't see internally. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. they can't they can't envision things. And they probably watch too much TV. No, no, these are uh, some of them are like they're they're very live very natural lives. Is the yeah, best way of saying it. Yeah, there's literally some people that don't that don't have that internal sight. And for me, that's like crazy because I, I can like actually see like if I have an idea for something, I can see the whole thing. That's cool. In any dimension that I want, I can see it from every angle. I can zoom. I can go through it. You know, I read this book, uh, Moonwalking. What was it called? Einstein walking on the moon, something like that. It was about how to build a mind palace. Hmm. And it's, have you ever heard of this, this memory technique? No, it's a really cool technique. Essentially you're just building associations in your brain with an actual mansion. So you, it's a way that the Greeks and the Pythagoreans and the, the, the Neoplatonists, they would build these palaces and then within the palace, they would store memories and associations and because ah. you could always have a physical reference in your mind to a memory it made the memory absolutely like bulletproof i wonder if that's how like cia agents can like quickly scan something that they see on a page and then just remember all the details you know i wonder about that that that's a good question i never did the speed reading thing that's I think that's a different skill set. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, but that's really cool. So I, I'm interested in learning more about that. You, is that, is that described in the, what did you say? Moon? What, what? It's something it's like, it's like sidewalks on the moon with Einstein. I'll look it up. It's now become a very famous book. It was referenced in the 08, 09 when I got it. Yeah. And it's essentially about, I'll find it for you on Amazon. Okay. Um, Thanks. The author is a Jewish guy that wanted to study how these, how the, how to become a chess champion. And, oh, interesting. And so he's like, well, what's the deal? What makes you a good chess champion? And essentially the best chess champions 
were ones that have gone who could remember every single scenario. Oh. So, so it's not about anything intuitive in the moment or anything like that. It's sheer raw memory hmm. and being to access if this, then that, if this, then that, if this, then that. And it's right, all, right. it's all probabilities. And you might, a person with a lot of experience might be operating at an instinctual level without an actual mental awareness based on pattern recognition as well right but the pattern the point that they try to make is that the pattern recognition is always it's always because of the amount of reps that they've gone through mm. so what he did was he became he learned like six or seven languages in a year and he became a chess champion by using this method and he was not somebody that actually had a good memory so he really, he really wanted to test this and he found it was like, it was incredible. Like his progression was really slow in the beginning and then it became exponential because once he could concentrate and go through these rooms within the palace of his mind, he could access things so easily because he, he, it's like any house that you've lived in for a while, you know, all the nooks and crannies. And uh, Mackenzie oh, and I are watching this show now that's so good. I think you'd love it. It's called Drops of God. And then Drops of God, they they show that that method of this woman whose father was the, the best wine connoisseur in the world. And he taught her from when she was a little girl, every single little nuance of flavor, smell, texture, and everything. And she placed it in one of these mind palaces. Oh, wow. And at any time she could go access that and she would know, okay, this is a Bordeaux from this region of Argentina and this, 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 and this. And it shows her going through her memory and like dusting off a book and opening the book and there would be these grapes or whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That is, that is amazing. That That's really cool. Actually, as a good skill for it's not quite the same as concentration, like the dharana, like training the mind for concentration, but it's similar in, in like you're training your mind to access certain of its powers. Right. It's not concentration, but it gives access to concentration because think yeah. of how much you're trying, how much of your, your focus goes to trying to remember something. If it's not instantly there, you're losing, you're actually lo losing the plot. Right. It's like yeah. when you're talking to somebody online or something and they're watching a chat and they're like, I'm listening to you, but you can feel the loop current isn't there because yeah. their their attention's on the chat. Yeah, it's sort absolutely. Of like, it's sort, that's sort of what happens with people with their random access memory. It's like when they're trying to access the memory, their attention is on on trying to find that file. And it's not necessarily with who they're who they're concentrating with, who they're conversing with. So mm. what occurs with these palaces, you can get so good where it's like instantaneous access to whatever that information is that you're needed. And now you're back to the visualization. Now you're back to that, that full, that single pointed focus, because as yeah. I understand, cause it's a, it'd probably be good to define point source light relative to, I don't know if it's called multi-source light, but we're talking about concentration, right? Yeah. Concentration is like a laser beam. 
And a laser beam is coherent light. And it's coherent light that comes from a point source. Single point source. That's interesting. Like in the context of what we're just discussing, it's very Precisely. And that's why laser beams can do so much work with so little energy. Yeah. Right? But if you're diffuse and you're trying to pick up this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and you have the resistance in your body and you have this, that, and the other, when you actually give your energy to, to concentrate, you're not necessarily coming from a point source light. You're coming from diffuse light. Right. And you know, what's interesting about this is that, you know, again, another, you know, hermetic kind of principle, the, the masculine is very uh, focal, foc the focus point. And the diffusion of light is like being very open and receptive is very feminine. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the two have to work together. Imagine yep. the two working together where you have the ability to focus the mind to a point that is so concentrated that it's like the whole universe is right there. All mind is right in that point. And then you're open to all possibilities so that the mind is not concentrated on anything. Mm -hmm. That's a yin yang balance, which is very powerful mm -hmm. <clears throat> because that's, how, that's what happens in Samadhi. Mm -hmm. In Samadhi, which is when the mind is, is um, absorbed into the awareness of the true self into awareness of consciousness the mind has to be placed into a point of concentration and totally diffuse at the same time mm -hmm. it diffused into the whole, the all in all. Mm -hmm. Well, that was Ramana Maharshi's whole point. He's like, if you are going to focus, focus on the eye. Yeah. Like if your mind is obsessively searching, search for the eye. Hmm. And his contention was if you search for the eye, and you give the mind something to concentrate on and you give it you give it a task the mind loves tasks yes you give it this task to focus on focus on the i who am i and in focusing on that one single point source guess what <laughs> you diffuse into everything right exactly where the where the singularity of total density of matter merges with the absolute unmanifest of the infinite and all. Mm -hmm. So, so a question for you, because I, I love Ramana Maharshi and I've gotten a lot from, you know, I exercise a lot and watch his videos and just like hear his quotes and then like maybe go for a run and listen. And like, I've done, I've done a lot of work with him so let's talk about how you focus on the eye, because that's interesting. What eye are you focusing on? You're focusing on this, this guy over here. eye. you're focusing on the pure consciousness. eye. like what, what is his suggestion there? So this is the best question. I think of all philosophy for me, the way I interpret it and the best way I could get to the eye is where am I? Mm, not mm. not who am i or what am i those two are two those two are too obtuse for my particular consciousness the deepest 
I've experienced up to this point is where am I? Because I have very good proprioception. So at least on the physical and on some of the more subtle levels, I'm very aware of my environment. I'm actually, I'm a hypervigilant person. So in that hypervigilance, I use, it used to be something that would bring me towards anxiety or depression. But now that hypervigilance I can use to fold, fold in on itself towards where am I? So in feeling, where am I? Where, where, where is this question arising from? Because I'm, yes. ask, I'm asking a question. So the question is, where, where is this question arising from? And oddly enough, there's only two answers. <laughs> and it's simultaneous. It's here, like what would be considered here in the hologram here in the physical body and then the most diffuse like the the widest my consciousness could get hmm. it's like so interesting because for me the 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 conclusion i've come to for many many years with the path of vedanta advaita with with this questioning who am i is I am, in all honesty, an extension of my environment. It's like, it goes back to mind. Like the mind that is creating all of this is apparently creating this too. <laughs> and yeah. there really isn't that much separation. Like there's like, there appears to be a boundary layer. And I do think we embody so that we can experience a boundary layer. So we can actually understand boundaries. I think that's a part. And individuality. I, I could, yeah, that's a, that's a different discussion, but like we could fall, we could probably go down that rabbit hole pretty Yeah, deep. but I'm being specific here when it comes to how the, how this Nana yoga works for me, because the, who am I is, like that's an infinite question and that keeps me in my mind. But the where am I actually brings me to this moment. It brings me into the now, which I don't feel is a temporal experience. Like I actually feel very present when I ask, where am I? I, yeah, found, I, was... I found when I was going into the who am I, I was getting extremely abstract and I wasn't, I was following, I was just out in the, in the mental sphere. Yeah, I, I get that. I think this is very interesting. I, I, I appreciate your take on this. I had a friend of mine, his name is Eric. He's um, let's say he's um, self-realized. So um, I mean, all right, so he asked me, okay, Moshe, he said, close your eyes. Where do you sense yourself? Are you in the upper part of your body or the lower part of your body? <laughs> so he did some kind of guided stuff like this and, and it ended up being like, I'm like upper and where are you in the left or the right? I said, kind of in the center. And it ended up being that I sensed myself right kind of behind my eyes. Mm -hmm. Like not here, not in the heart. Mm -hmm. Although I, at times in my life, I may have answered that, but in this moment, 
And also at that moment, I, I kind of, I have the sense of where am I? It's smack dab in the middle of my head. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so let's go back to the Ramana Maharishi. Um, focus on the eye. Okay. Let's go to this. Let's go to the next step. So, because he said, just focus on the eye and then you'll get to that place. So let's go with your example of where you are and, and my example of where I am. And just look at that. Like, what do you do next? So you focus on that. Okay. My sense of eye, I feel is right there. Now, when I do that, I mean, I have, I still have a huge expansion of awareness of all kinds of energetic phenomenon going on. But where my sense of self, my individual jiva, you know, like my individual sense of self is right in there. Is that what Ramana Maharishi is suggesting we focus on? No, it's a trick. Okay, go. Tell me. <laughs> so I've said this to you before. I just don't think it's ever landed. Yeah. That I is sensational. Right. But who you are, the big I am, the so we're talking about dissolving through concentration. Yes. Dissolving essentially the little I, the sense of identification. That sense of identification and everything that's associated with it is always in front of you. Yeah, because it's an object of your sense. And it's everything has always been in front of you yes even like in this <laughs> i bring even this up thought. To, even thought thought sensations everything is in front of you so this is the whole notion of being the fourth wall the big i am the big joke in all of this is that we're fish that are wet but we don't we we don't know what wetness is because we've never been dry <laughs> right there, right, there's there's right. not this so at all times everything in our existence is happening in front of us the big i am but we're identified with the sensation in the mind the mind yes. is always in front of us we're actually never ever affected by the mind Right. And I understand that. Like, like I get pangs of very clear clarity where I see Moshe as an object in front of me. And right. I go, wait. <laughs> That's the I am. That's that the I am is the it's where the buck stops, right? right? It's like it's the basis of all experience of everything that is experienced. And there's nothing that experiences it as an object because it is the fundamental experiencer. I, I totally get that. Precisely. So now, so then what's Ramana, Ramana, because I'm almost like tempted to interpret that he's saying, focus on the object of the sense of yourself, the thing that you and see. And he's doing this as a trick. It's a trick. He's doing this because he knows the majority of people that are going to make the effort to ask, they need a task. And he knows the fundamental principle of human consciousness is whatever you look at long enough disappears. Ah, so that's, he's making you concentrate on that sensory se sense of self 
to make it disappear and dissolve into the the witness. Exactly. Because that's exactly what happens to anything that you look at long enough. It, it dissolves. That's huge. That's huge because it's impermanent, right? It's impermanent. No thing is real. You see it. You see it's impermanent when you focus on it. Right. That's that's actually really that's really brilliant. That point of it, it dissolves. It's a trick. He's it's like a reverse psychology. Precisely. Yet, right. And he says it all the time, like in reading his memoirs, he was saying all the time, these people need something to do. They're coming to me with a need. Like the, they're literally coming and they're they're searching. They want to search. Ah, right. Because he's he's in such a place of reality, like the Taoist, like the, the master yogi. There's nothing to do. There's no desire. Right. Like literally for 17 years, he sat in a mangrove in a, a mango grove and like he didn't talk to anybody. Yeah, he taught through silence. And stuff. And yeah, he would say silence is the greatest teacher. And still people asked him questions and still were seeing And he would him. answer. He'd answer. Yeah. Well, after those 17 years, like when they moved him down from Virapaksha Cave down into like his ashram, they built a couple ashrams. But like his whole thing was just like, okay, it's obvious that they need something to do. And he was very specific about nothing survives the light of your awareness. That's so cool. I love that. That that really actually helped me get clear on that particular teaching of his or suggestion that I, I wasn't sure about. Like, what is he asking us to do right now? Right? Like, um, because I understand the philosophy about who we really are. I'm pretty clear on that. So that's really helpful. I appreciate that. That's fantastic. In a way, like I, I really see the work that you do, at least like what I've experienced, like the other day when we went through the session, just you and I looking at something objectively, a pattern that I was holding, it did not survive the light of our awareness. Exactly. You go through it until it dismantles. Right. And a lot of the world is based on shelving it, suppressing it, unfeeling it, numbing it out, which makes it stronger. It's a, it's a reverse. Mm -hmm. It's a reverse of what you'd expect. Right. When you focus on it, not in a pathological way, but when you focus on it with intention, mm -hmm. it, it dissolves. You get to you see the illusion of it. Mm hmm. When you, yeah. when you, when you shut, when you go like this, like, I can't deal with that. You're inherently empowering the heck out of it to remain. Definitely. Definitely. That's so good. That's a great, that's a great analogy. And I, you know, what was so interesting about how this work developed is that I was working in a deep yogic principle that who we are is truly pure consciousness. So basically that's the fall that's the place of release is into the I am, is into this pure consciousness, the undefined state of okayness. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that that's what I was doing until I studied yoga. And then I said, ah, oh, shit, that's what, that's what I'm doing. It, it, put, into, it put into context what, what this counseling, the holistic counseling is, uh, is based on. And what, what my course is based on that I'll be teaching people how to do on themselves is counsel thyself. So maybe you could put a link on that as well for anybody Definitely. to catch 
yeah that would be awesome thank you i don't i don't ever want to discount though there is a power in this i don't i don't have the answer to the riddle by the way i'm just saying yeah there is a power when two or more are gathered i know there's a mandala effect with the bible now and now it's where two or three are gathered in my name did you know that yeah oh really yeah the bible is no longer where two or more are gathered in my name there so shall i is i forget the exact quote now it's where two or three are and not two or more because two or three says like it it delineates it to two or three whereas two or more could be two up until a gazillion right right and so what i've noticed in these states of of dance being with like a lot of people that are in tune or being in massage with a client or in anywhere where there's a pairing there's an array and it's like that different focal point in consciousness over there that different sentience over there the the different perspective that even though it's within my consciousness is separate from me, it, it, it is its own thing. When that is witnessing, like when we're both witnessing something similar and we're in coherence, man, does the power. I can feel that right now in our, in our, what we're talking about. I feel that I feel like I'm like in a deep meditation Mm-hmm. And I'm experiencing like astral shifting going around me. Like I could see the astral fabric right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with that. It's a very interesting concept. And it's, I mean, I think in simple terms, like the in the only plan of choice, the, the nine, the council of nine, the Elohim, they talk about this phenomenon that where many people in, uh confront a belief system together it it has a great power mm-hmm. and where one per, when one person does it alone it has less power so it's like it's like the the power of everybody focused together adds up for each person singularly for it to have more effect on them mm-hmm. so i i could just see it as that we're adding our mind force together and it becomes not just an individual self, but a, a group energy, a gathering of force. And that's what makes the absolute best coaches in team sports. It doesn't really have to do with X's and O's. They have a specific charisma that forges everybody's focus in one direction. And for those of you out there yeah. that don't know what a forging is, Forging is different than casting. Forging is when, let's say in this case, you're pouring metal in a direction. You not only just pour it in a direction, you move it in that direction as you're pouring it and you continue to move it in that direction. So all the molecules turn. And once again, that's a mechanical way of infusing a directional energy, even though it's going to freeze and be static. Yeah, But something that's forged is like four to five times stronger given the same mass of something that's just cast where it's just plopped in there and just 
you know, co- it dries. Oh, that's very interesting. So charisma or the capacity to to lead is that energy which can take all the other mind energy and turn the mind energy in a direction and get it to move in that direction. It's the same way that it's what happens in vitrification of clay. Like clay is normally, you know, terrible and plastic and squishy. Yeah. You heat it and put it under pressure and then it vitrifies. Everything turns all the, all the plates of the clay molecules turn in the same direction. And now you have a pot. Yeah. You have ceramic. You have something solid. It reminds me, it reminds me when I was in India, it was in 2001 and I was riding on the back of a camel. Well, in a cart. And I, we stopped for lunch or something. I forget. I think the guy went out to co- actually collect like this magic mushroom that he ended up putting in our food without telling me. <laughs> <laughs> he was the best camel oh, super guy. Super spiritual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, Moshe, are you enjoying the, the, the stew? Yeah, I was like, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember I was sitting there and I walked, there was this uh, shepherd woman shepherd i don't know if you call it shepherdess whatever and I, I watched her energy field i could see her mind field mm-hmm. it was huge it was probably uh 100 feet in diameter because i could see that when she moved shifted the, the goats followed her mm-hmm. her mind field kept them all around her in this spherical form they wouldn't go beyond her mind field mm-hmm. and i was fascinated by that I've, I've sat thinking about that a lot and it's the same like with the coach standing on the sideline, his or her mind is totally in, in wrapped around the field. The players are are synced in their heart with the coach mm-hmm. and the coach is channeling this vision of things and the players are the, the parts that are, are carrying that forward. Right. You totally see that. Yeah. That's really powerful. Uh, so a group, I mean, I could see it being simpler when there's a group that's guided by a leader. Yes. You know, we're talking about the augmentation of mind force in a group. Mm-hmm. When there's a leader, it's easy because then everybody acquiesces or agrees to allow the leader to set the stage. Then people follow and that's powerful. But what about when there's a group of quote unquote equals doing the same thing from the same level? I guess the leader is the consciousness itself. Yes. Yes. In that, in that, so I think I, I'm not of the mind that on the physical level we're equals. So just, just so like you're clear on that. Yeah. Not everybody is created equal in that regard in the physical level. Or or even, even in the capacity to like, we're, we're all endowed with different gifts. We're all very unique. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think we can get a little new agey and a little too far to the left to right. to try to smear or push us all in the same category like that. Yeah. So in in general, the majority likes to be led. When you get a bunch of leaders around each other, and I've experienced this a few times now as an elder, <laughs> there's relief. Because now there's not the mind force that's actually being capitulated to lead someone. Hmm. 
So like I have employees, right? And I've always felt the burden of employees because I'm, I'm their alpha. Yeah. And so in one level, I like it because it, I can get a lot of stuff done and make a good income doing it. Right. But there's a, there's a toll that's being paid because on the psychic level, some of them see me as their daddy. Oh yeah. For like, sure. like I'm responsible for them. Right. Right. And I don't hold that context. No, it's the same with a net, like a doctor or a healer where people go to them to be fixed Right. projecting that power onto the doctor, which is the whole, that's a whole false model of reality when I could see why you wouldn't want that on you either. Right. And so it's such a relief to be around a, a peer that's a, another leader because they're not needing the leadership energy from me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like talking to you is always a joy. Talking to a few other men in my life is always a joy because you're not needing to be led. You're, there's not a psychic need that's that's under underneath that's like, hey, just tell me, just, yeah. just, just give me the juice. Like everything yeah. that you and I share, it's such a good loop current because we both have earned it. Like you and I have put in a fuck ton of energy and time into our respective professions and we're both introspective enough and have messed up enough and have been humiliated through life enough and then come through to the other side to be like, you know what? I've kind of earned my punyas a little bit. And also the inner work, like regardless of profession, the, the inner healing work. Oh, and- I mean, I'm including that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm including that in this description. So, yeah. But you got to understand the majority of people are looking for a savior. Well, that's why the world fell to the shenanigans of the whole thing that's happened over the last few years. Definitely. Because they don't think for themselves. They're looking to be led. And a person, a person who wants to achieve the ultimate release from the illusion of the false realities has to think for themselves have yes. to be that that's that's so interesting like wh- where there is this almost like two discrepancy in the bible two two passages that are sort of seem contradictory on the one hand christ said you have to put away your childish ways and on the other hand he said only a child only a child will enter into the kingdom of heaven mm-hmm. so there's different contexts for that one is the fir- the first one is is exactly what we're talking about Put away your childish ways, grow up and think for yourself. Like you have to own responsibility mm-hmm. for yourself. And then you don't need a leader to tell you what to do or how, how to think. So mm-hmm. that's hugely important. But then we have to be innocent like children at the same time. So right. it's like, again, the yin yang of innocence. And I don't know. And I am open to all possibility in innocence. And then I, I, I got to figure this out on my own as well. Mm-hmm. There's so, so many juxtapositions of opposites, which is what gets us into that, that neutral center that we love so much. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I, I have to say there's only two behavioral patterns that I've really locked on that like, I would say that I adopted to allow me to, to give me the capacity to concentrate 
And one was almost like a self-denial mechanism where it was like, um, what's it called when somebody fasts? Like when you, when you can say no to gluttony, I'm forgetting what the term is. Ab abstinence. It's almost like abstinence. There's a more subtle term for it though, but let's just, let's just, when I had the capacity to abstain that built my concentration, therefore built my power. Yes. And then also when I took on the notion that everything that's occurring in my life is my responsibility. Yes. Like I take a hundred percent responsibility, at least for the way I'm reacting to it. Like right. it could be something that supposedly happens out there. And this brings us back to the whole, all is mine and it's all happening in front of you. So when I adopted, I when I adopted those two things, then I found the capacity to concentrate really increased. That's really cool. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. That's good. I could use more concentration. I could use more mind discipline. That, in a way, that's kind of also why I wanted to talk about this with you is that I, I have lots of room for growth and how much I use concentration and mental focus to focus in the direction, to focus the mind in the direction that I wanted to. And I just checking in, I could kind of see what motivates me negatively towards not doing that. Um, but it, it also what you're just talking about, it makes me think of like people that have taken too much LSD and they've been kind of fried on LSD mm -hmm. and they go like, it's all in your mind, man. It's like, that's a, that's too far into the projection of everything is in within my realm of responsibility. Yeah. You know, I understand what I'm saying because ultimately we get to the point where we realize we're not in control and that's a good thing. But again, like that could be brought too far and you don't do anything. And then it could be brought too far where it's like, it's all in your mind, man. Like, it's just like the balance is, is in that central place, which, which is like a narrow path between it's all in your mind and it's out, totally out of your control. Yes. <laughs> it's kind of a cool spot to get into. It definitely is. The... I'm trying to think of the best way to say this. The, the There's something with the black hole concept that I think is the superpower of the cosmos. But it's not, you know, some star collapsing in on itself out there in space <laughs> right that's a projection of scientists onto it so i've always been fascinated with black holes and for a long time i likened <clears throat> psychopathic energy to a black hole until i went through the black hole like um energetically and then was like shot out in the neutrino field on the other side. Like earlier, we were talking about the AWAR videos and stuff like that. And that brought me back to this notion of the black hole. So you have these 
we should probably mention that we were watching the videos of uh, Awar. He was the guy who did uh, like four or five years ago the video on what the hell happened on Flat Earth. I think that was the name of his first. <laughs> Awar is A E W A R A E W A R. And then yeah. he did. Then he did a sequel. And then essentially, what he was saying was that this Earth. Uh, the history that we've been given is a lie. Uh, there's this, uh, what people were terming at the time, a Tartarian influence that right. was that was worldwide. And um, more than likely, a lot of these m massive structures that are what we consider ancient, ancient means over a thousand years old. These ancient structures were more machines than structures. And they had the capacity, they weren't being used in their original context. Yeah. And that the earth, the model of the earth was essentially completely false, the one that we were being given. And that in his second documentary, he was talking about how the moon is like a plasma negative of the actual map of the realm. And... <laughs> He went through a few years of kind of backtracking and saying everything that he did in that in that in those first documentaries was wrong. <laughs> so I remember and I, I remember that's the guy that you sent me that video of, I think, last year. And I said, I really appreciate this guy because what you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is making these totally loose connections to between things without having any like really solid. It's just like a whimsical Oh yeah. And that reminds me of this. And like, you know, I feel like people are on a rampage of making loose connections on throughout our, our like internet community. So the, I appreciated him do that. So the irony is now with this last four, I only sent you two, but he did a series of four. He's essentially come back to his original two videos. And so in these last, the last two videos that he did, he's essentially showing that a lot of the megalithic sites, a lot of the cathedrals were essentially built over these nexus points of ley lines and waterways mm -hmm. where you'd have this incredible spring water and talking about, you know, mind energy into mechanisms. So you could talk about Wilhelm Reich all day with his stuff. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, he used water as one of his, you know, infusers. But in these latest videos, he finally gets to the point that essentially the largest structures that are being built on on this plane of existence right now are these underground facilities trying to do what they're trying to measure neutrinos. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're trying to measure a neutral particle going through, let's just call it a volume of space. Sometimes this space is occupied by very pure water and they're trying to measure this. And well, these are what we're told. We're told that they're trying to measure it. And I'm sure they're doing that, but they're doing other things other than measuring it. Right. You're getting to my point. OK, this, okay. Is, this is the mind. So yeah. we got the public side of things where people are yeah. like, ooh, neutrinos. I saw that movie 2012. The neutrinos, when there's a neutrino wave, it's the end of the world, you know? <laughs> so they're, they're, they just made a bigger wishing well 
like you with your your wishing machine right they're going to an area where they don't have mind interference right i mean guys you guys you gotta check out these videos like they're literally going a mile down into the ground like deep into the ground because there's something with the notion, like I always noticed my deepest meditations were like 3 a.m. because there's no mind. Yeah, so, that's when Kabbalists get up to do their ma major prayer slash manifestation exercises at 3 a.m. It's also the time of liver chi. You know, in the, the five mm -hmm. element theory, the, the chi moves through the different elements and yes. different organs. That's the time of the liver. Mm -hmm. And there's something to be said about that too. So, okay. So go on. So yeah. 3 AM. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they're making these wishing wells. Mm -hmm. They're literally having vats of pure water in right. these caverns. Right. And they're saying that at certain conditions and certain times, let's just say during, they have an array of people that are all aligned. I bet you they all sit there and do their, their prayers or incantations and this glow will come from the living waters. Yeah. What was the name of that blue light? That he, the, the, What was it's the term? Chesnikov radiation. Chesnikov radiation. Yeah. And that light has been documented at all these natural springs all over. Oh, the sorry. Cherenkov. Cherenkov radiation. I, I, I wrote it down because I was, I want to look into it a little further. And it's amazing. So you're literally having the the when you talk about what it takes to build these structures and to go to the depths that they're going of mining and drilling to get to these areas where they can make a cavern and then make their wishing well that tells you to the extent of of what this old cathedral technology was topside right and, you know, and you were getting to also with the Tartarian and why they were buried, right? They exactly. Buried, they buried these these buildings. It made it made it look like there was a mud flood, but really it was intentionally buried because they wanted to get the telluric, the ground energy, exactly. the ground force. Yeah. What's it called? I always forget the name of all the vaulted catacombs. Are they oh, called the uh, Gothic? They're called catacombs, right? When you have all the vaults, um, okay, yeah, you mean dol dolmenic chambers? Dolmenic chambers. So the dolmenic yeah. chambers are like so. Well, the point that he brings up, this is like imagine the roots, like they were what they were trying to simulate was that the cathedral was essentially like the big home tree that was grown out of this spring, this well. Yeah. yeah. And then they would use that from the public interface side, top side. But, it, you know, all the, the monks and all like the heavy hitters were downstairs where the telluric currents were. And, and those where, pools. And the, and pools. the pools. Because that was where they were healing people. They were healing themselves and they were getting, he mentioned that, that there were people that were having like revelation with God when they were in, the, in those waters. Absolutely. I mean, why do you think baptism was so, like, it was such an easy thing for the Christian church to incorporate? Yeah. You know, you have the supposed son of God, Jesus Christ, saying, hey, I need somebody to baptize me. 
dunk me in the waters, the living waters. Like, come on, right. that's that's code, guys. Like, let's get with it. You you find the living waters, and that and that Clint, like that, what that does for your being is Absolutely. amazing. <laughs> I know that we were geeking out about some technology, like what would be the highest etheric or you know orgone producing tool this is in the realm of that and this yes. is also very alchemical it's so alchemical can you please now, elaborate on that because this is like i i really lean on you when when it comes to the alchemical side of things yeah okay i mean there's so much symbolism i could go over and there's i'd say that's pure alchemy right there well i mean he's quoting falconelli right falconelli is an, an alleged uh master uh, an adept who who attained to the philosopher's stone. I believe he did. Um, and there's not a lot of people who attain to that level. It's quite it's quite remarkable. So he he um, he wrote the book, The Mystery of the Cathedrals, right? Mm -hmm. Like yes. So that's Falconelli, and he, his work also. He's a French alchemist, even though his name sounds Italian. Mm -hmm. He was French. And he had a whole line of French alchemists that uh, you could gain clues by reading more of, of their work. So one of them is in that lineage is, um, oh my gosh, it's the uh, Hermes Unveiled by Ciliani. Again, another name that sounds very like Italian, but it's French. He was French as well. So they talked about waters. Mm -hmm. And the water it's not the element of water i mean it is in a way but it's not it, it's actually they call it a water that didn't wet the hands and it's actually you know falconelli he shared some quotes in falconelli uh this awar dude who mm -hmm. i really appreciate his videos it's it's actually a water that doesn't wet the hands it's uh it's of the nature more of salt mm -hmm. Water is something that is imbued into the salt, and it's mm -hmm. a spiritual water. It's an etheric water. It's a water that's channeled from the from the sky, from the heavens. Mm -hmm. So, in the beginning of God creating the heavens and the earth, you know, when Paracelsus, he's another very celebrated mm -hmm. alchemist, when he's interviewed in his um, catechism on alchemy, he says. Like one of the questions is, what should the the artist do? The the alchemist do is like follow everything that the creator did in in the book of Genesis in the first chapter. So in the beginning of God of the of the heavens and earth, like basically, that's the first line tells you all of alchemy. The heavens and the earth need to be balanced together. Mm -hmm. So the earth is the empty vessel. And the heavens is where the water comes from mm -hmm. and the earth is what embodies that mm -hmm. <clears throat> so there are spiritual forces we have to learn we have to know how to attract them and what magnet draws them and what magnet could seal them up inside that's the fire i mean i guess we could say in the water but okay i'll just i'll say this what i've come to understand is when you look at the, in the Hebrew, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning of the Elohim creating, eta shamayi ve'eta aretz, the heavens and the earth 
Shemayim is made up of two word two words into one, Aish and Mayim, which is fire and water. So mm-hmm. the heavens are the fire and the water. It's the primordial steam. Right. Or plasma, right? right? So Can we say plasma? Plasma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's plasma. Okay, thank you. I, I think so. I think ultimately all these words unite together and can be used. That, that's what I really got from one of the things I got from speaking with Dale Pond is that all these yes. words, scalar waves, still magnetic light, zero point field, it's all the same thing. So the steam is the marriage of the opposites of the sun's fire with the moon's water. Right. When you take fire and water, you get steam. Mm-hmm. That is a scalar. That is zero point field. That is the unified field of the opposites. So that is also the child, the Christ child, who's made by the father and the mother. So that's the uh, the the Shemayim. That's the the heavenly spirit. Then that has to be embodied, though. Otherwise, it's it's not like it's useless. But we, can, we have to put it to work. We have to mm-hmm. we have to con, we have to confine it in the earth. That's what the earth's purpose is. So in the very next line, as an example, it says, "When the earth is astonishingly empty, the earth has to be created in a condition of emptiness, which is what the cathedrals are. They mm-hmm. they become a big vessel for the containment of this energy mm-hmm. that can then manifest tangibly." In the, some of the language of in in alchemy is to make the fixed volatile. The fixed is the earth element, say, and the volatile fixed. Mm-hmm. So we want to make this very, very heavenly, very volatile. It's like the most volatile thing you could have. <laughs> you want to make it condensed into fixed, mm-hmm. and the, and by doing that, it also raises up the fixed nature of the vessel that's containing it it's it lifts it up they meet halfway so to speak mm-hmm. so i know i'm talking allegorical right now and i i think that that's but i think you're jiving with what i'm talking i'm totally about. jiving with you did you have you listened to my podcast with isabel friend no i haven't what's her name isabel isabel friend is she the resident lady the the person who made the resonant chamber patterns in the cathedrals no no that's tanya harris oh okay okay no isabel friend is uh now my most foremost expert on water (laughs) she she's stunningly bright when it comes to water and her water Mm -hmm. is life website is like the best clearing house for all different things to condition water so you could nerd hard on that site all you want but in our conversation we got into some of the things that she's been uh being exposed to with these high-end water structures um where they're what's it called aqua aqua photonics which is it's releasing this type of uh church Chernevnikov radiation, what's it called? Cherenkov? Cherenkov radiation. And the way she was describing water, I think you would really, I'm not remembering exactly, and she's very specific, so I don't want to butcher what she was saying. 
but I was thinking of you the entire time because it was so alchemical yet oh. scientific at the same time. Oh, sweet. I love that. I, I swear, man, like I'm so grateful for, for this age that we're in because like just doing the electroculture brought me closer to understanding alchemy. Like when you put your hands in your, in your, in your, in your earth mm -hmm. and you have a rich earth that is, that can create life that boosts life. You're right. being an alchemist. Yes. Um, what makes things grow is, is the energy that we're seeking to harness and to create into a medicine, a medicine for metals that could transmute and a medicine for humans for mm -hmm. to transmute our our base metal into gold so to speak right and i take that literally i don't think it's just allegory i mean literally like base metals can be transmuted i do believe in that right and I, i'm just so grateful like one of the things that you real that i've realized as an alchemist I, I may have mentioned this but on our other podcast i don't i don't remember is that when, when the spring comes and everything is like the animals are rutting, they're trying to reproduce mm -hmm. the sexual energy is, is rising up. The, the, the plants all flower and blossom. There's a noticeable, everything comes out of the ground. It's like a miracle. Mm -hmm. It's because the force of nature is channeling the, the, these etheric forces, which is known as spiritus mundi, the, the, the spirit of the world. Yes. It's also known as uh, as the, the the secret fire. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's in my opinion, it's because of the equinox when the night is equal with the day. You have alchemical balance of opposites, mm -hmm. and and following that equinox when when we have balance, you have this this fall, this fallout is negative. You have this positive consequence of everything responding by being reborn and growing really rapidly and then the same thing happens again in the fall but it's not as distinct as the augmentation of the spring because it's falling towards death in in the winter right you see the reflowering of flowers again in the fall mm -hmm. you see this growth happening again in the fall right because of the equinox so can you tell people, because you've brought this up a few times, and I just really want to knock this home, this this concept of balance. Yes. Because I, I think I shared with you a few weeks ago when I was in Costa Rica, this whole inspiration for the yin-yang dome came. Mm. And my client and I, we, we designed the yin-yang dome, and I did the elevations for it. And on all the domes, I usually put a spiral roof. And what I noticed with the yin-yang was you have the yin and the yang. And within, within the polarities, there's a dot of the opposite polarity. Right, right. Yeah. And this, this does what Victor Schauberger said. It creates a dynamic dis disequilibrium uh -huh. so that there's life. Uh -huh. there, it's dynamic. So it's always moving. It's always, you know, shucking and jiving. It's not an equilibrium. It's a dynamic disequilibrium. Disequilibrium. I think for the purpose of movement. Yes. Right? So if we want to create movement, we can't have total equilibrium 
So we need to be able to channel that which is totally still where all the power comes from in stillness. Right. And make it move. So, so exactly. That's exactly right. So you're talking about an equinox, equal night and equal day. You hit that neutral point for like a second. Right. It's, a, hit, it's a point of infinite, infinite, not like it's so small. It's just <laughs> like that. And that's just like the signal. Okay. Woo, let's go. And that's also what happens between male and female during that, that, that intimate conception moment. It's that, that, that co complete yin yang of the, the female totally absorbing the male and then the male completely being absorbed by the female, like this, this, this energy that goes back and forth and boom, neutral center is there. And then before you know it, child comes. <laughs> There's life. There's life. Right. right, right. So there is a unification, unification of the of the opposite seeds. Yes. Which is another very big principle of an alchemy is that the seed of something is it's has the most energy. It has the largest essence. Yes. So okay. So okay. So what do you want to talk about with balance then? Because you're you're very big and you've said it the three times that we've talked at least in this podcast is that the balance between the male and the female yes yes so i yes. want the full i want the full concept for you why that's so important well it's like if you think of the trinity right which is a Christian concept, but it's also very alchemical. You have the father, the mother, and the third, which is created by the two, the opposites of the two. So the, you know, balance is, is also important to integrate the idea of harmony. Mm -hmm. So they need to be in harmony with each other. It's not like, <clears throat> because they're not the same. They're, they're different. They're opposites. Right. But but there is something that we could say there in a way it is like a plus one and a minus one. But in math, when when you bring those two together, they become zero as in nothing, nothing. And that's not what it is. It's not nothing, nothing. It's no thing. So because when when the when the the two opposites are brought together, <clears throat> they neutralize each other and they create the third thing, which is no thingness, which is the child Christness. And like that's even though it looks like it's created, it's actually the creator of those two opposites. Mm -hmm. So we're we're talking from this perspective of the opposites being separated, but they're not really separated in the true sense of who we are. They're unified. Mm -hmm. So that's why we we want to bring them together because they have become s separated. Mm -hmm. You know, in the biblical Adam and Eve, Adam was an Adam Kadmon, was the original Adam, which is on par with the Christ, mm -hmm. who's a child that is neither masculine nor feminine, but both. And then through the symbol, symbolic, you know, Adam was slept and, you know, they say a rib was drawn, but it's not a rib. It's a portion of him mm -hmm. that was taken off to create her and even that has limitations in its creation. It's just metaphorical in that. So we we are the unified field and we have become so split and we identify either as being masculine or feminine 
And, you know, the powers that be, the same powers that would like to keep us small, would like us to keep identifying with one or the other. So all these like concepts like, you know, oh, we can get on without the masculine. We don't need the masculine. All we need is the feminine or the masculine that's so uber masculine doesn't want to yield at all to the passivity of the feminine. These are all extreme examples of what keeps us in locked in duality. Mm -hmm. So we want to unify these opposites so that they melt into the field, which is the greater field, the deeper field and the most powerful field. Mm -hmm. Walter, Walter Russell said, you know, we're so used to harnessing the power of these opposites in opposition, which is what electricity is, the dangerous electricity that can shock you. It's like the, these are split and like, you know, it's like da it's dangerous. It makes fire. It burns people up <laughs> um, versus what Walter Russell said is like, you know, in our industry, we're looking for all the power to come from these, the separation of opposites, but all the power comes from the fulcrum in between them. Mm -hmm. It's the fulcrum where all power comes from. Mm -hmm. Now, it, the trick is how do you harness that? Because you know, not a lot of real, I don't, at least I don't know of the fruits of Walter Russell's philosophy has not a lot of fruit has come from that philosophy. Yeah. I'm Just, not aware of any mechanism. Yeah. So, I mean, how, I mean, that's still a mystery for me. How do you create free energy? Uh, I mean, um, that's totally abundant. That's what we're still working on the question, right? Mm -hmm. I think there are some people that have the answer, but they, for reasons they keep low or they tried to profit from it and they got bought out and buried or they got killed because they wouldn't sell out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these things that really tap into that field, they're not distributed far and wide because the, you know, the world is still running on greed. It's not hard to drop. It's a consciousness thing. It really is a consciousness thing. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. The. There's still. Over identification with the victim. With the victim? With the victim. And it, that is a form of very uh, unbalanced feminine. Right. And and whenever you have one uh, imbalance you off you automatically have the other imbalance so that <laughs> the pol the polarities are created right. in, in huge opposition so we don't want we don't want this this far extreme of imbalances that's not balance no if you have one foot in boiling hot water and one foot in ice cold water you are not balanced you are extremely polarized right that's not balance balance is taking the two waters hot and cold and mixing them together but they don't and they kill each other in a way but there's something born from the death of the two and that's a big alchemical principle too is that when you take the living waters of the op the opposites of fire and water and you merge them together they kill each other they die mm -hmm. it's like christ died and he was reborn right that's why these opposites need to die so our will and our yielding need to die together. The yielding is brought into will and the will is brought into yielding. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful way of putting it. I would like to, I, let's go ahead and, and cap this particular cast that we're doing.
And yeah, I'm, I'm going to meditate on that because I've never used that terminology about the will and the yield. The, the that that's something that feels very profound to me internally. Nice, nice. Um, yeah, I feel but, like we've touched on some a lot of really profound, like, pra like not necessarily practical to create free energy to make the philosopher's stone. But philosophically, you've been embodying in the internal world, very practical stuff. Well, this is what we should do. The next coffee talk is we'll actually get into some devices. Okay. Does that sound good? Yeah. And also just, just to, to lend to that topic as a continuation of today, how the mind force has to work in those, those um, me mechanisms. Machines. Yeah. yeah, those mechanisms. Yeah. Yeah. And what that means, like we could talk about the uh, Paul Emerson and the Rudolf Steiner, different forms of machines that what well, we could talk about that as well. I'm, I'm so into it. And I'm going to talk about architectural machines. Cool. I'm, I'm going to talk about actual structures as machines. I, I look forward to it. Coffee talk with Moshi and Toffee. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, brother, man. You have a great week and I'll be talking to you soon. Okay. I love you too. Thank you so much. I truly feel like fire all fired up in the best kind of way from tonight. Thank you. Love you, brother. Love you too. I hope you enjoyed coffee talk with Moshi numero dos. Um, sorry. That's my faux Jewish New York accent. I it's, uh, <laughs> it's sort of the humor that I have growing up in South Florida. Um, I love Moshe. He's such a good man. We have such good conversations. It's been a wonderful friendship for a long time. I hope you get to uh, check out his work on his website uh, and check out his Know Thyself course or Counsel Thyself course. Um, if you can't take the course, at least get a session with him if you have anything that's perturbing you any problems with your with your body or mind whatever's going on he's a uh, excellent at diagnosis and he can really cut through any of the noise that's inherent to your system so this uh, at the end of this week i'm i've been recording so many <laughs> interviews as of late i kind of forget what our our schedule is i believe at the end of this week, I uh, will post, I don't know who I'm gonna post, but we got more people, um, inventors around water purification, uh, did a couple of interviews last week. You guys uh, might've seen the interview with BB and uh, I'll be on the One on One podcast and also back on Emily Moyer's podcast. So just, it's been awesome talking with all these great minds and uh, really looking forward to seeing you guys on the Telegram chat. Uh, we have about 300 people on the chat right now. And uh, on Telegram, we have about 1300 subscribers. So that's awesome. Share the podcast far and wide. Um, we have really good things going on here. I've been able to film some instructional videos and we're in editing and uh, we're going to continue to put out all the goods. So I hope you're starting to get the feel that this is a very well-rounded 
way of taking information. Um, I try and take whatever I learn and apply it because applied data becomes wisdom, right? And um, I'm somebody that learns through mistakes. So thank you for bearing through a bunch of my faux pas and memory slips and whatever, but uh, at least you know it's authentic. So enjoy the podcast and I'll see you guys next week.